Last week we began a discussion on the, the fracturing of the American church along political lines. And, and what's happening more and more is that people are uh, self-selecting into churches or out of churches based on political preferences, their political preferences, the political preference that they find in the church. There was a, a survey done that found that, that most Christians worship together with, with Christians of like political belief. God help us. And, and while that, that gives me, and it should give you a uh, pause, it should concern us, I don't think this fracturing of the church is inevitable. Like there is, there is hope. I, I don't think it's inevitable. And uh, my boys are big Marvel Avenger fans. And at least once a week, I hear one of them say, I am inevitable. You know, they, they get all serious. And they're like, what, is, what does that even mean? Um, but I don't think the fracturing of the, the American church is, is inevitable. There is reason to hope. And uh, we're continuing our look at the New Testament letter called Philippians. It's named after the people it was written to. And just uh, for context, remember last week we spoke a little bit about how all the New Testament letters were written in the context of the, the expanding Jesus movement across ethnic and, and cultural lines. And the apostles, they saw it as, as their, their mission was the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham to, to be a blessing to all the nations and, and what they were doing in proclaiming the life and death and resurrection of Jesus was bringing healing to the nations. And so because of that, the, the churches were filled with, with varieties of people, with diverse people, ethnically, culturally, and, and these, these letters that were written, while they do contain theology and ethics, like how we should live, the, the overarching theme was like, how, how can we be the people of God together? Well, from all these backgrounds, how, how can we come together and, and make our allegiance to Jesus uh, supreme over every other dividing line? So that, with that in mind, let's pick up in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. And the assumed answer here to all these questions is, is yes. We do have encouragement from being in Christ. We, we do have comfort from, from God's love. And I mean, like, like think about it. That Jesus... Regardless of your, your background, regardless of your pedigree, regardless of your status, uh, where you come from, what you've done, Jesus' death and resurrection was for you. And the invitation has been extended. So that, right, that gives us comfort and no matter what we're, we're going through. And, and he says, if you've, you've shared in the Spirit. Yes, if, if you are a believer, you have re- received the, the Spirit. And, and then he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. Paul, he is just thoroughly concerned about the unity of the church. Like he, he is overwhelmingly concerned, so much so that he implores them to be one, 
to make his joy complete. I mean, that, that's something. Like he's already talked about joy in this letter. And so as the Philippians hear this, they're going to uh, remember back to just a moment prior. Like for us, it's been uh, several months now. But remember when, when Paul starts this letter, he begins with joy. His, he has joy in his prayers for them. And then he, he recalls with joy their prayers for him. Um, and, and so he says their unity is tied to his joy. And, and he puts his joy bucket. Like he puts a little bit of it on, on them. Like my joy, he's saying, like it's currently here. Like he has joy. But make it complete. Like to help take my joy to the next level by being united. And as I was preparing today, I was, just, I was struck by this idea that uh, joy can be elevated or deflated. It can be helped or hindered by unity or disunity. And I've always had a strong conviction that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Like no matter what I'm going through, that I can, I can have joy. Doesn't mean I'm happy and, and giddy. Woo, you know, like, but I can have, have joy. And, and I, I believe that. It's a still a firm conviction. And Paul had joy. But he understands that, that his joy can be disturbed by division. His, his own joy isn't complete because of the possible disunity in the people of God. So it might, it might help to think of it in, in this way, in a bit more personal terms, just between two people. Uh, maybe you've had someone that you've had a, a falling out with, a strong disagreement. It, it could be a loved one. It could be a significant other. There are, there are times when uh, my wife, Elora, and I have some disagreements, and those disagreements sometimes lead to prolonged silence, right? While we're, we're both stewing and figuring out, like, how are we going to, to fix what's broken? And in those moments, what I find myself doing is, is having a conversation with her just in my head. And, and the conversation is like, I say this, and then she says that, and then I say this, and I say that, and, and usually I'm saying all the right things, um, and she's apologizing, right? That's, that's kind of the way it plays out in my head. Well, after I've had this conversation in my head, I come back to reality. We are still, we are still broken. We are, we are still divided, even though like I've envisioned this, this future. Uh, and it takes some working through that. And, and so the disunity in our relationship, like when we're in those moments, I've never thought, man, my joy is complete. Like in this moment, my joy is complete. But that's just not what happens because when there is disunity, our joy is not overflowing, whether it's between two people or a larger community, a faith community. And I would say that division, disunity, is a joy stealer. Disunity in our relationships is a joy stealer. And Paul understands this and he urges his friend to be of one mind for the sake of, of his joy. And I think it's interesting. Paul uses um, some rhetoric here at the beginning of, of chapter two. And remember when uh, the New Testament letters were, were written and when they were received, they weren't read, not initially. They were, they were listened to. A, a messenger would take the letter. Usually it was a close confidant of, of Paul. So Paul's in prison. 
he writes this letter. It's, it's going to be taken to the Philippians and probably into a, a living room, uh, to a house, or maybe an outdoor um, kind of area of, of a courtyard. And, and the, the letter is read. And so Paul, he uses these, these four if clauses as an oratory device to like capture, to draw them in. If any encouragement, if any comfort, if any sharing, if any tenderness. And these, um, the first three statements are, uh, you know, they're concrete experiences that they can wrap their, their hands around, their, their minds around. They've experienced these things in, in Christ. Um, but then he turns, he talks about tenderness and compassion. It's tenderness and, and compassion. And, and I think he's talking about their tenderness and compassion. And for Paul, Paul has firsthand experience of their tenderness and compassion, of the Philippians. Like he, uh, he experienced their hospitality when he was there originally starting this new faith community. He experienced a, a gift from them as he was in, in prison. Like when you're in prison in Rome, like you're not, they don't bring meals to you. Like you are relying on your friends. And so they have sent funds to, to help him have what he, have what he needs. And, and so he's experienced that and he's reminding them like, hey, you are compassionate. You have shown tenderness. Now do that for each other. Now do that for each other. And, you know, when I think of the Hills Church, and when I think of your generosity, when I think of how you have engaged in fighting against injustice, when I think about how you've shown concern for one another, like when, when someone's been sick or when someone's lost a loved one and you've come around and been a support for that, like God is at work through the Hills Church. God is at work through you. And, and so the encouragement is, is to keep at that and then to extend that even further towards one another, towards the sister in Christ, the brother in Christ who you disagree with. You know, we started talking about politics, but the disagreement could, goes beyond politics. We, we disagree about all kinds of things. Right, and and so the the encouragement here is to push past that and, and to show that tenderness and compassion. So Paul is saying, if you have those things, and the answer is yes, encouragement, comfort, sharing in the spirit, then for the love of God, literally for the love of God, be one, be united. And Paul wants them to make his joy complete. But they've got to get their act together. They have got to get their act together. And they must come to a common mind about their life together in Christ. And what he means by, by having the same mindset is going to be explained in a few verses later. We're not going to get into to that today, but I will just say, having the same mind, having the same mindset does not mean uniformity. It does not mean we all think the same. It does not even mean that we all agree. But we'll get to that in a, a few more weeks. Uh, now last week... I said that one of the, the remedies of the disunity, of the, the division, is, is for us to recall our shared experience of God's grace, that we need to recall our shared experience of God's grace. And um, that, that same grace that I have experienced despite myself is the same grace that God has extended to my brother or sister in Christ, even if I have a, a principled reason for having a different opinion than they might 
have. Your, your sister or brother in Christ who happens to be voting for the other party, for example. They have experienced the same grace, the same love, the same spirit. And so we need to recall our shared experience of God's grace. And then the second remedy that I see in these verses is actually a caution. A, a don't do this, get rid of, of this. So how can we be like-minded? How can we promote unity in the church? Verse three says, do nothing. And by nothing, it means don't react, don't engage, don't respond, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. How can we be like-minded? We need to abolish selfish ambition and vain conceit. Get rid of all ambition. Get rid of all vain conceit in ourselves. In ourselves. So, I mean, just raise your hand. If you are filled with ambition and self-conceit, just go ahead and raise your hand. Like, nobody's volunteering for that, right? Like, we, we don't want to consider ourselves to be selfish or to be conceited vain conceit. But this, this selfish ambition, another translation, another way of putting it is, is rivalry. It's a, uh, it's like at the heart of everything that has gone wrong with humanity, putting ourselves forward. It, it's when our self-interest dictates our behavior at the expense of others. When our self-interest dictates our behavior at the expense of of others. It makes you take things personally. I mean, you are the object of your affection. You are the subject of your conversation. I mean, it, it all revolves around you, your, your, my reputation, right? my standing, how, how it makes me look. And, and Paul, he is writing to the best of churches. Like they don't have some of the problems that other churches have. And, and Paul loves these people. He has just told them, like, I long for you with the, with the affection of Christ. I'm willing to die for you. Like, I love you to that depth. But yet he gives them this, this warning. Be alert this, for this spirit of, of rivalry, this wanting to put ourselves forward because it's in, it's in all of us. Like on a scale of, of one to 10, like we, we are somewhere on that scale. So we have this selfish ambition, which is a problem, but it, it comes from vain conceit. The King James, instead of vain conceit, says vain glory. And that is a, uh, it's a good transliteration. And by transliteration, I mean taking the word from the Greek, trying to get as close to English as possible, the, the, the word. And, um, but glory, it's a tricky word for us. Glory means to, to matter, to have weight, to have significance. And it contains within itself uh, the Greek word for glory, doxa, which is in our word doxology. When we sing the doxology at the end of our services, we are giving weight to God. We are giving glory to God. We are saying God matters above all. And, and Paul's warning them not to be filled with vain glory, empty glory, glory. Don't be glory hungry. And we are like... <clears throat> whether consciously or unconsciously, we are concerned that as individuals that we don't matter, that we are, we are afraid of not mattering, um, so much so that it can cause us to put ourselves ahead at the expense of others. And, and the worst thing for us is not to be hated, not to be opposed, but to be ignored. We are concerned that we are insignificant, that we don't 
matter that we are overlooked, marginal, that we are on the periphery. Uh, here's, here's this one example. Is that uh, I grew up playing basketball in, in the schoolyard. I played in, in high school. And, uh, there's, and if you're playing pickup basketball or a lot of sports, sometimes you show up and then you have to pick teams. Right? You get two captains, and one captain says, I want that person. The other captain says, I want that person. And you go back and forth until what? There's one person left, and you don't want to be that person because you are stripped of your glory. Like You, you, you feel that, and, um, and thankfully, I usually was one of the captains, but I still felt this, uh, this angst about having that last person. And so I would talk with the other captain and be like, hey, let's just divide up teams quietly, and then we'll tell everybody, like, hey, you're with this person, and, and you all are, are with, with me. Um, and before, before COVID, I would uh, go up to Central Park Rec Center at least once a week on the lunch hour. Like, uh, people play up there on Tuesdays and, and Thursdays and get involved in some, some pickup games. And I remember this one time the gym had mostly cleared out. And because um, now we don't pick teams like that so much as w- you have to shoot for it. So you shoot a free throw, whoever makes the free throw, or sometimes a three-pointer first, you get to be on a team. But it was the end of the day. The gym had mostly cleared out. Uh, There's two teams that were playing. And they were down to four players because people had to leave. There was two guys left. It was me uh, and this, this other guy. And, and one team was, was stacked. Like they were a good team. And everybody, we, I mean, we played together all the time. So we, everybody knew like, this team is good. The other team, they're struggling. And so I had this, uh, this thought bubble. We wanted to even out the teams. And my thought bubble was like, I am, I'm better than, than this guy. In fact, I'm, I'm significantly better. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a baller. Uh, and so I, I need to go on the team that's not as good to help, you know, bring some balance. He can be on another team. We'll kind of balance the teams out a little bit. <clears throat> nobody else saw my thought bubble, and nobody else agreed. So in fact, they're like, they had the guy who I, I thought I was better than him. They put him on the not-so-good team, and put me on the good team to balance. It, it was a, a humbling moment, and, and it was as a, a 40-year-old basketball player, it was a reality check that in the game of basketball, my glory is gone. Right? There, there is nothing left. I am marginal, and we want to matter. We want to be in the center, though we understand we're marginal. We, we are cosmically small, and so we, we act big. And if anyone treats us as small or as unimportant, we, we go off the hinges. Uh, we're, we're afraid that we are nothing, that we are just a footprint in the sand as the tide is coming in, and then we are no more. And some of us, when our glory is threatened, we explode, but for others, it's just a, a drip, drip of acid that's burning at us. And we want to prove that we're somebody and we, we don't want to be faceless. And so when we are confronted with a different opinion, we believe that we are not being heard, that our glory is at stake, our importance is at stake. And so instead of seeing the other opinion as just a different opinion, we take it as a personal affront. We take it as an, an attack. We, we get upset and we push back and, and attempt to put forward our own glory. We diminish the other person with the other opinion. And the problem is, is that before sin 
entered the world. Uh, we had glory. We were glorious. We were centered on, on God, but, but our ambition has stripped us of that glory. And uh, how, do we, how do we fix this? need? How do we fix this desire for glory? In the coming weeks, we're going to look closely at, at the following verses in Philippians, but I thought we would read them today just for a, a bit of context in, the, in this idea of glory. Philippians 2, verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself of his glory. Jesus emptied himself. He embraced our worst nightmare. He voluntarily walked right into the things that that we hate. Isaiah 53 says that he had no beauty, no majesty, that he was despised and and rejected. He was a a man of suffering. He was familiar with pain. And, And there was nothing about Jesus that attracted people to him. He came, he was poor. He was a poor man. He was a weak man. He was an ugly man. And in the end, he was utterly rejected by those who condemned him. And he was utterly rejected by his father. So on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on the night when Jesus was arrested, did you know that he prayed for you? He prayed for me. He prayed for our our church. In John 17, he said, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Listen to this, this next part. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that we may be brought to complete unity. Jesus emptied himself so that we could be filled with his glory. Jesus emptied himself so that we could be filled with his glory. And, and now, the call for us as, as Jesus' followers is to embrace that same attitude, to empty ourselves for one another. And, and so now, now when we're treated as small or insignificant, when, when someone you know, just belittles us in some way, we can say, who cares? I am loved by God. And, and Jesus says to us, like, they say you don't count, but I was willing to die for you. So Jesus, through his life, his death, and resurrection, he has abolished the need for us to be filled with ambition and vain conceit. And so as we, speak, as we, as we seek to be one in spirit, to be of one mind, the next time you, you feel or you see like a disagreement coming, or, or you're, maybe you're in the middle of a, a disagreement with a brother or sister in Christ, maybe, maybe even someone who lives in your own household, Ask yourself, like, is, is my selfishness contributing to this situation? My desire to put myself forward, my desire to get what I want, is my desire for glory driving my anger? Am I feeling insignificant? Is that, like, what is it that is, is creating this conflict? So take, take a moment and, and to ask yourself and, and to reflect and then to look to Christ. So let me pray for us.
Jesus, I thank you that you were emptied so that we could be filled. And God, because we are filled now with your glory, it, it doesn't matter if others say we're insignificant. It doesn't matter uh, our, our job title, our, our, our status, our, how others perceive us. Because we have your glory. Because you've given it. You've given it to us. And thank you for that. And I pray that we would, as a church, that we would be united, that we would be of, of one mind, of, of the same love, and that our joy would be complete, just as Paul was desiring, that our joy would be complete. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.